Welcome to the Mission Connect podcast, a podcast all about ordinary people doing extraordinary things to fulfill the great commission of Jesus. Our goal is to help you connect with God's mission for your life. So get ready to be inspired, challenged, and move to fulfill your mission. And now here's your host, Finu Ike. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Mission Connect podcast. My name is Finu Ipe and I hope that our time together today will inspire and encourage you to connect with God's mission for your life. Friends, my guest today is Colin McCartney. Colin leads Connect Ministries, a ministry that equips young adults to engage in local missions and church planting. Colin was also the founder of Urban Promise Toronto, an urban missions organization that continues to impact the lives of thousands of children and youth all across the greater Toronto area. Colin shares his amazing story of stepping out in faith to serve the needs of youth in his community and how simple steps of obedience led to discovering God's assignment for his life to launch Urban Promise Toronto. I was so inspired just listening to Colin's story and I know that you're going to love this conversation. And just a quick reminder that Go Conference 2019 is happening on October October the 25th and 26th. For more details, check out www.goconference.ca. And with that, here's my conversation with Colin McCartney. And so we have on Mission Connect podcast today, Colin McCartney from Connect City Ministries. Colin, welcome to the podcast. It is so good to be with you. Uh, Colin, right before we went on air, we were just talking a little bit about your journey and your story. Uh, I can't wait to get to it. Uh, All that God has done through your life and especially through this ministry called Urban Promise. But before we get there, I usually like to ask our guests to share with us their moment of commitment to Christ. What was that moment for you when you decided that you wanted to surrender your life Uh, to Christ in salvation, and then maybe even the moment where you said you'd like to be involved in some level of Christian ministry in sharing the gospel with others. Right. For me, it's it's a story of trials, you know, and I think for some of us, you know, we come to Christ through trials, through brokenness. Um, I was born, my parents are immigrants, so they came from Northern Ireland. And there's only two types of people in this world, as you know, those who are Irish and those who wish they were Irish. Um, but uh, <laughs> okay, I haven't that one before, but great. I haven't been to Ireland yet, so I'm missing out, obviously. Yeah. So, uh, so anyway, they came from Ireland. And uh, so, you know, the, the Irish, the Northern Irish are kind of brought up in a religious background. If you know anything about the history, it's quite yes. tragic between mm-hmm. Catholics and Protestants. Protestants. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of like a little civil war going on and killing and so on and so forth. So I kind of grew up in a religious kind of fundamentalist home that kind of lacked Jesus. Hmm. Um, so, you know, you had to be a good Protestant. Um, oh, and lo, and woe to you if you're a Catholic and woe to you if you you're, don't believe in anything. Uh, so, that, you know, that's, it, was, it was a very uh, divided household in that sense. So I was brought up there and, and kind of turned off, you know, religion. Hmm. Uh, but when I was a teenager, I ran into these Christians that were teenagers. Hmm. And there was something about them. They were, um, they were good people. Uh, they had a big joy, like a lot of joy in them, which now looking back, it, that was the Holy Spirit. Um, and they, they just, they were so different that they attracted me. I think the Bible talks about this aroma, you know, this aroma of God. You know, they had it all over them, like a beautiful perfume. So they attracted me to them and I got to know them and so on and so forth. And it was through my relationship with them uh, that I realized that 
I was religious, but I didn't know Jesus. And uh, so I came to know Christ as my savior through them. Now, the tragic part of it was, so I'm about 16 years old. Actually, I was probably about 14 when I accepted Christ, just going into grade nine. Then um, in grade 12 or grade 11, one of those people who was a good friend of mine, uh, and she was 17 at the time, died in a hit and run accident. So when you're that young, you think you're going to live forever. And then all of a sudden, when your friends, you know, you get a phone call saying she's dead. It was a tragedy, hit and run. You're not prepared for that. So I remember going to the funeral, you know, I was a pallbearer there. And, and then I was angry at God. And so I hitchhiked up north and uh, basically ended up at this weird camp. It was a Christian camp. And uh, I camped out there on my own in a pup tent and just wanted to spend time alone with God. And through that week, and, and there's a countless miracles that happened, but we don't have time to talk about that. Uh, I really moved beyond accepting Christ as my Savior and moved into uh, surrendering to Him as my Lord. Wow. And that was a big step. That's, that, that was just out of high school. I just graduated high school at that point and surrendered over to God and said, God, take my life. You know, I'm not, I give up. I can't live this myself. I know you're my Savior, but I don't know if I've made you my Lord. Right. And um, that's when I, I surrendered and committed to Christ. Wow. I think uh, that's powerful because uh, I think a lot of people uh, do make the commitment to receive Christ as their Savior, but never to have him as the Lord of their life. And when we mm -hmm. talk about connecting to God's mission for your life, part of God's mission involves letting go and dying to self and sacrifice. And it's hard to do those kind of things if he is not the Lord, if he's not the master of your life, he, if he's not the ultimate decision maker. And, mm -hmm. uh, and unfortunately, I think many times in Christendom today, we, we make people consumers of salvation and blessing yes. and yeah. God's Good love point. and God's grace and God's mercy. And that's all wonderful, but we don't necessarily talk about, well, if you receive all of that, then there's also a mandate and a mission that God has for you uh, that you'll only come to an understanding of if you submit to his authority over your life, you know? So that's, that's powerful. And so from there, um, what led you to ministry with young people? What was that transition from, you know, just after high school, he becomes the Lord of your life. How did you get into ministry with young people? What was that journey like? So, so when I surrendered to God, I ended up two months later going to Bible college. Back then it was Ontario Bible College, OBC. Now it's Tyndale. Okay. Um, so that was a long time ago. I'm 54. So, wow. <laughs> um, uh, you know, so I went to school there and I ended up, the church where I became a Christian, I ended up getting involved heavily in the youth ministry there. That's where this young lady was from who died. And I had a real heart for evangelism. Like I was on fire because she had passed away. I'm like, mm. you know, who's, who, you know, people need Jesus. That's right. And so uh, it just kind of fi fires you up. So we ended up in the, in the youth ministry. I was helping the youth pastor. We ended up doing a lot of um, outreach into the neighborhood. And uh, I was kind of, I don't know, God just kind of worked in me to kind of spearhead that up. Uh, as the years went by, I, the last year of Bible college, he resigned and, and the church basically said, you're the youth pastor now. So, uh, so I took the job on, I remember sitting my first day at the job at, at the desk and going, what do I do now? Right. <laughs> uh, but for me, it was like, okay, I'm going to jump into the high school across the street. I'm going to get involved from Scarborough. I'm from Scarborough. Okay. And, uh, 
I love basketball. So I got involved in it right away, right into high school. I didn't want to be a youth pastor that sits in the office and babysits church kids. Uh, I was just driven into the neighborhood. Mm. And I, I was driven into low income neighborhoods because that, I don't know, for some reason, God gave me a heart for, for that. Um, and it, they're right by our church. So I, I coached basketball uh, at the local high school over the years. And um, doing that, you get to meet a lot of at risk youth, a lot of hurting youth. Um, uh, most of my team, most of my players had helpful police records. And that was interesting because they had police records. So what we did was, I remember the principal pulling me into the office and saying, you know, we're going to have to pull your team from the league, uh, from the school league. And I was like, why? He says, because, you know, like 80% of your players are failing. And I said, well, how's it going to help them stay in high school if you cut the one thing that keeps them here? Mm -hmm. And that's basketball. And he said, well, it's a school policy. I said, well, how about this? How about I start an after-school tutoring program and we we work on their grades. If they want to play on my team, they have to be in the tutoring program if they're getting uh, 60 or under. And so he agreed with that. And so we'd be, I, I brought in some Christian friends of mine from OBC, from Tyndale, right. uh, way back then. And we started an after-school tutoring program. And uh, you see, all these opportunities for ministry are there. Hmm. Um, we just have to take those steps, you know, like, so here I am, I go to the school, you need a coach? They're like, yeah, we do. I, so I coach basketball. Then you get to meet the kids, the players, and, and I find out they're failing. Oh, so they're going to pull the team on. So I'll run an after-school tutoring program. Okay, see, opportunities are always there. We just have to go out there. God's at work already there. And we just go out there and, and join God, right? So, so yeah. Can I ahead. ask you a question, Colin? Uh, when you did that, and, and I love what you're sharing here, that there are so many opportunities all around us probably even every day, that we probably don't take advantage of. But part of the reason we don't is because there's resistance. That's the reality. There is some level of resistance that we face, mostly probably even internally, uh, that, that stops us from taking those steps of faith, from walking across to that high school and asking that principal, do you need a basketball coach? And, and, and you know, when the, when the principal comes to you and says what he says, uh, even for innovation to happen, there's got to be a, a desire for for something to happen. That's why you innovate. That's why, you know, you're creative because you're like, I need to get this done. So I can't do it the traditional way. I've got to find a new way to do it. What are What is the resistance that you felt back then and you're brand new? I'm, I'm guessing there was no playbook for this. I'm guessing the, the <laughs> no. former pastor didn't leave you a whole sort of five-year strategic plan on how yeah. we were going to build this youth ministry. Yeah. So what were some of the challenges you faced, the resistance that you faced, even as a person internally, uh, that, that you had to overcome to do what you did? For me, uh, I, I didn't feel any personal resistance. Uh, and I think it's because in, now in my journey, if you look at Ephesians 4, it talks about that some people are called to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. I think the apostles and the evangelists are the type of people that fear nothing. They just kind of jump in there and make things happen. But they need shepherds, teachers, and prophets to come alongside of them. That's right. Um, so in my case, I think I'm kind of apostolic. I tend to start ministries and I just, so I just go, it's just it's my DNA, you know, the way God's wired me. The opposition was more from the church wow. for, from fellow believers because, you know, people in the church would be saying, well, Colin, you do too much outreach. And I'd too say to much the church, outreach. Yeah, exactly. Right? I go, how do you do too much outreach? I've never heard of that before. It's like saying to Jesus, Jesus, you're doing too much outreach. Like, yeah. how, do you, how do you pull that off, right? So the church has a fear factor that, 
you know, that their young people are going to be exposed to those other young people that are sinners and horrible and awful. And, and um, that's where the battle lies. But the church needs to realize we're living in a post-Christian culture. And we are on the mission field. That's right. And the sooner the church recognizes that and, and accepts that reality, it changes how you do church. So unfortunately at that time, uh, you know, the church didn't see that as a mission field. But I'm apostolic, so I, I'm, I'm hard-headed. I just kept doing what I'm called to do. I have to. Wow. So yeah, I, that's not a really easy answer for, for the listener that's an individual that may have those fears. And those fears are legitimate. Right. Uh, but I would say try to find someone who's apostolic or evangelistic and help them be part of that team. I mean, I look at you. I don't know much about you, but you're probably apostolic. But you've built a team around you. Right. And you're like the point of the spear. Um, so you break the ground, but you need those other people, those other people that have those other gifts um, to be unified as a team to make a difference in the, for the kingdom of God. And so you're, you're doing the steering program now. And what happens after that? What, what, what's the next phase? What's the next step? What, well, you know, you get to know, you talk about when I'm in, in the school as a youth pastor. It was cool. You get to know the kids on your team. And it was cool. I've, I've been in that school so much now as the coach. That's my door into that mission field. Mm. And I remember being down the hallway and there's this one of my players and he's like, he's trying to impress a girl, right? And he's like, yo, yo. I want you guys to know that this is my pastor. I want my girl. I want you to know this is my pastor. And he's trying to impress her, right? But this guy doesn't even go to the church. Like he's just, <laughs> but he knows I'm a pastor, right? So that was cool. So then you have an opportunity to share your faith. Like, okay, you call me a pastor. What is a pastor to you? What does that mean to you? And then bang, you're on to the gospel, right? But, but getting to coach those guys, you get to know them intimately. You get to know, what's going on in their, in their lives. You get to know their girlfriends. In my case, my guys had a lot of babies from their girlfriends. So you get to know their babies. Uh, And now the church, not only does it have an opportunity to run an after-school tutoring program, but now it has an opportunity to run a teen mums program. And so we did that. We now birthed a teen mums program out of coaching basketball. You see how all these opportunities are there waiting for us, but we have to take those steps of faith let me tell you something else that came out of this. Uh, about 80% of my players were also had, uh, were doing probation, had police records, had to do community service. Um, so we started a community service program out of our church as well. And they had to do 30 hours or 40 hours. Um, so part of it was we started a drop-in center and they would be my staff. And so their, their community services so working with me, reaching, reaching their friends, right? Uh, and so that was really cool. So we got to work with uh, Operation Springboard, secular organization, running a, uh, a young offenders program out of our church. So all these ministries came out by leaving the walls of the church and getting involved in the local neighborhood. Well, I'm just thinking about all of this and I'm saying, wow, it all happened because you had one conversation with the principal that you approached and said, hey, do you need help and how can I help? And then all of a sudden, all these doors open. And, and I think that's an important point, Colin, is what we're talking about being on mission, sometimes it's not as complicated as we make it to be. Sometimes it's just one act of obedience that leads to doors opening up for the gospel and for mission and for God to touch the lives of people. So now you're running, uh, you're, you're doing, you're coaching basketball and you're running this tutoring program and you have a teen moms program and you're running a drop-in program. I'm not really, I don't even want to ask what the elders of the church thought about all, all of this, these ministries. Oh, I, now. I got great point. stories for you. <laughs> yeah. So, 
we don't have time to go into those stories now. But um, what happens next now? So you're involved in their lives. Uh, they're coming to the... Now, let me ask you a question. Were these young people coming out on a Sunday morning at this point because of the some, drop-in? Some did for their community service. Oh, <laughs> So Operation Springboard One way said, to get them to church, yeah. Well, yeah, they said, uh, they said to me, it, it will count as community service if they're in a good environment. I said, does church count? And they said, yeah. So they can knock an hour and a half of their community service for 60 hours or whatever they owe yeah. uh, by showing up to church on Sunday. So some of them wow. did come. Okay. In fact, I ended up doing a baby blessing uh, for one of them and his girlfriend and his baby. And I did that uh, at the wow. church. And all the family, there's 20, 30 people showed up and it was wow. it was great. But then again, the church got upset about that, you see? Why? Because um, they said, how could you do a baby blessing uh, for people that are living in sin? And I'm like, well, you're living in sin too. <laughs> we all are. <laughs> but I said, if anybody needs a baby blessing, yeah. uh, it's a teen couple. And and if you look at Mark 10, when Jesus says, it's, you know, people brought their babies to Jesus. Right. And he didn't ask them what their, their backgrounds were. What, were they living in sin or whatever, whatever you want to call it. It just says he took the babies in his arm and he blessed them. So I'm just doing what Jesus would do. That's it. That's powerful. So, but and I guess that, that's the opposition that, you get. And the fact that it brought all those families to church as well, which yeah. is, yeah. which is amazing. Um, and so, how did all of this now? So you're obviously, you know, just experimenting in some way in the sense that you're just walking in this naturally blind, but by faith, trusting God every step of the way. How did that now lead to some kind of organized uh, ministry setting with urban promise, et cetera? So talk to us about that transition. So for me, it was, you know, we got this drop in going for quite a few years. Uh, you, you fall in love with those youth. They're your sons and daughters. They're your, wow. your, your, your tribe. You know, and you get to know their moms and uh, it becomes a community. You celebrate Christmas with them. You celebrate meals with them after the drop in. That was one of the best things we would teach these single moms, these teen moms, how to cook on a limited budget, like spaghetti. They've never cooked spaghetti before and they learned, you know, and I had old ladies in the church teaching them, which was great. Um, And then afterwards, we'd have a big meal and they'd invite their boyfriends and babies and we'd have we'd have community. It was kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. so one of these young men named Marcus, he came out, got to know him well, loved that guy. He was a lot of fun. I played basketball with him. Um, and then one day, and I got to know his mom, single mom background. One day his mom came to the church. It was a Wednesday night, and she said to me, uh, Marcus is dead. And uh, that rocked my world because this is one of my boys. This is I know Marcus. And I said to her, how did he die? And she said he died of a drug overdose in his sleep. And uh, apparently he was dealing drugs and he was involved in some gang activity. So her words to me was, you're the only church I know of. Can you bury my son? And for your listeners out there, there's a lot of people out there that you're the only church they know of. And when you, you know, the church, two or three are gathered in my name there, there he's with us. And so if the church truly is a body of Christ, it's not a building really. It's, it's the people of God. And so the, the people out there, they need the church. They need the body of Christ. So anyway, so we did the funeral. And on the way out, I would greet people. I'd ask them how they knew the deceased, how they knew Marcus. That was his name. And, and they'd tell me. And the, everybody at the funeral was wearing their colors, their gang colors at the time. Mm-hmm. And then this 16-year-old girl came and I said, how would you know Marcus? And she had a little one-month-old baby in her arms. I said, how would you know Marcus? And she said, well, I'm his girlfriend. This is his son. 
And that just crushed me because I actually had a baby boy. My first was born and was about a month old. So I'm looking at this month old and I'm thinking of my son and I'm thinking, who's going to raise this kid? The gang, Hmm. you know, and that's the, that's the challenge in our Toronto housing. Um, Who's going to raise those kids in Toronto housing, the church, or is it going to be the gangs? Is it going to be the body of Christ's presence in those communities? Because if we're not there blessing these children like Jesus, taking them in our arms, Mm -hmm. I'll tell you who's going to take them into their arms, the gang members, right? So I looked at that baby. I thought, man, here I am working with high-risk youth. But what about these kids? Wouldn't it be smarter to reach children before they get 18 and really messed up, before they get so far down that road uh, of of at-risk behavior? Maybe if I got them when they're four and five and then walked with them then, um, maybe that would be easier and it would also be more effective mm. uh, before they get caught up in gang activity. So basically we continue to do the work with at risk youth, but we begin to plan how are we going to reach children now in our neighborhoods? Wow. So that's and how so, Urban Promise came about. So what was the vision of Urban Promise then when it started? And, and by the way, the name Urban Promise, maybe you want to unpack that for us as well. But what was the vision of Urban Promise when it started? What were you hoping to accomplish and how did you start off? Well, I was just hoping to accomplish the continuing continuation of what we were doing with these, these youth because I got to know the little children mm. from these single moms. And I thought, wow, like I said earlier, we got to reach these kids before they're too messed up. So, um, the idea was to turn churches into community centers, community hubs. Love that. Um, and you, a lot of churches have gyms and they have kitchens. And so the idea was let's find churches in low-income neighborhoods and uh, let's transform them into being really effective community churches, mm-hmm. uh, churches that can really reach the neighborhood and be a safe place for children, youth, moms. And so that was the vision. And that it started at this church where we had run this drop-in center. And the word promise actually comes from the scriptures where Jesus says, wait in the city, wait for the promise. I've, you know, what well, the Holy spirit I promised you. Right. And so that's wow. a great term, urban promise. And so let's talk for a moment about what, what's happening in our city from, from, you know, your work with urban promise. How many years did you work with urban promise for? Like what was so I started in 1998? Yeah. I shouldn't say I did. My wife was a great help. So I'd say we did. Okay. Um, she's a great partner. Um, so 1998, and then I left about five years ago to start Connect. Okay. And Connect was kind of, for me, it was time to move on um, because we had now young adults who had become Christians through our program at Urban Promise. Some of them were, I believe, called to be pastors. Wow. Um, and who better to plant the church now in a government housing neighborhood than someone from the government housing neighborhood. That's right. Um, so instead of getting some guy straight out of seminary who doesn't know the hood, doesn't know the streets, uh, let's get the gifted ones that are already there. Mm. Let's resource them. Let's connect them to resources. Let's connect them wow. to mentoring, uh, coaching, um, and let's raise up a group of young adults from the hood to plant churches in the hood and churches that will look like the hood. Um, so that's where Connect came out of. Because a lot of the people we were reaching at Urban Promise would become believers. Right. Uh, but then when they were too old for Urban Promise, they would fall through the cracks and get involved mm-hmm. in criminal activity. And it was kind of like, we're saving them, but they're going out the back door. And so we needed a church now, a church community that they could be part of. Right. And so that's where I left Urban Promise to start Connect City. 
you know, before we talk about connect, we'll talk about connect for a moment. Um, I want to go back to when you started Urban Promise. Before we went on the air, you shared a story of how you ended up becoming the person in Toronto that would start Urban Promise. Can you share okay. that with our listeners? I, I really think that's powerful, uh, Colin, because uh, we all face doubts and questions as to what and how God can use us. And I think uh, just that moment in your story uh, speaks to uh, the power of just being available and what can, right. God can do with that. So share that with us, please. I think for God to use us, we have to really believe in God. Mm. You know, we have to believe that he's Lord and he can take care of us. And he's, he loves the lost. I mm. mean, he's the father of the prodigal. And so for me, it was, I had a safe job in many ways, a nice paycheck at this church. But here I am doing all this mission work. And uh, when, when Marcus died and I saw that baby, I just had such a burden to, to also reach kids. But I didn't think I was the guy to start Urban Promise because I had my hands full already doing this other stuff. Yeah. Um, so I phoned a friend of mine who was doing, it was called Urban Promise actually in, in New Jersey. And I had taken youth there on missions trips, mm. hop in a van and we'd go and work in Camden, New Jersey because my youth were from government housing. They couldn't afford to go to extravagant places like Africa and stuff like that. <laughs> but we could hop in a van and just go to Philadelphia and go to Camden, New Jersey. So I phoned him up and I said, Bruce, I mean, we've got such opportunities here in Toronto. We've got, I got all these young people and, and they, I got their babies now. And uh, I think you should start an urban promise here in Toronto because they work with children. And I, I thought, I'm a type of guy that I don't want to reinvent the wheel. If people are doing it, let's join together. Let's partner. Right. Um, so I said to him, like, you're doing a good job there. Why don't you send some Americans here to, to Toronto and start a nerd problems? You can have our church. Uh, you can work with the kids. We'll continue to work with the youth, and uh, it'll be great. So he flew to Toronto, and I picked him up at the airport, and I said, Bruce, first stop will be the high school where I coach basketball. I want you to see Toronto the way it truly is. And he said, okay. So we got to the school. I had him stand at the end of this long hallway mm. where all the classes come out onto and it was around 3.15. I said, the bell's going to ring in a minute. Just look down the hallway and you're going to see our wonderful city. And the bell goes off and the doors open and you've got every culture under the sun. <laughs> I love Toronto. Yes. You've got every nationality culture under the sun coming out of these classrooms. And I look at Bruce and his jaw just drops. And he was in shock to see that mm. the mission field has come to Toronto. The world has come right. here. And so Bruce just looked at me. He goes, I can't believe this. And I said, what can't you believe? He goes, where I'm from, it's just African-Americans and Latinos. He says, but you got the whole world here. Mm -hmm. And I said, yeah, so here's our mission field. So he came to our drop-in, met the youth, saw the kids. And then a day later, we spent time in meetings. And then I went out for dinner and then took him to the airport. So I said, Bruce, what do you think? Can you, can you bring in some staff, parachute them in? You got a building. We got the, the, the people we need to reach. They're all here. We're ready to go. The harvest field is ripe. Send forth the workers. Um, and he said, well, Colin, we, you know, we can't really do that. I'm going to, you know, I'm working with Americans. We need Canadians. In fact, we need people from Toronto mm -hmm. to start an urban promise, people who know the city. And we need a, an innovator, an entrepreneurial type of person to kind of head it up, a risk taker. And uh, I said, well, do you know anybody like that? And he says, well, yeah, I made some phone calls. I've done my research. I think I've found the right person. 
So I got excited and I'm like, wow, that's great, man. Who is it? I might know this person. You know, I'm from Toronto. I might know this person. He just looks at me and points his finger. He goes, it's you. You're the guy with the burden. You're already kind of doing it. You've got a passion. You're taking risks. You're the guy to start it. And I said to him, well, how much are you going to pay me? And he said, zero, because I can't give you money from America. It has to come from Toronto. It has to be Toronto owned. And I'm like, okay, so you're not going to pay me anything and you're telling me to do it. Well, that's neat. So I was glad to take him to the airport and wave goodbye, right? I came home that night. Uh I told my wife I got a job offer. She goes, start Urban Promise, right? I said, yeah. She says, how much are they going to pay you? I said, nothing. Now, my wife at the time worked for Youth for Christ or Youth Unlimited. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. So she knows what it's like to raise money. Mm, yeah. So she looked at me and she goes, they're not going to pay you anything. <laughs> and I said, no. Now, we just had a house, a mortgage, and a baby. Wow. She says to me, she says, Colin, this sounds so crazy. It's probably from God. <laughs> I love now, that's that. faith. That's that is faith. Wow. So she said that. She goes, it sounds so crazy. Wow. It's probably from God. And I said, oh, man. So I went to an elders meeting two days later and told them I had a job offer. And they basically said, how much are they going to pay you? I said, nothing. I'm going to have to raise it all. And uh, they said, what are you going to do? And I said, I don't know. You're the elders of this church. I entrust myself to your guidance, your leadership. You're the spiritual leaders here. You tell me what to do and I'll do it. And long story short, I ended up, they commissioned me out as a missionary wow. and I had to raise all my money. I had no money to start this ministry. So, uh, but the Lord provided. And uh, so that's how Urban Promise started. It was, you need people of faith to get, to get that's things it. going. That's it. And it's still, yeah, it's still going strong. Urban Promises. Yeah. And uh, as I was telling you before we came on the air, Sean uh, James has actually been on this podcast and shared with us yeah. the work that Urban Promise is still doing in uh, the city of Toronto and uh, community housing and, uh, and just the impact that they're making. And so uh, what a great work and what a great, um, what great fruit you've had over the years. Uh, all from Sean's that. Sean's a good moment. guy. Yes. I'm glad he's running it now. He's a yes. good guy. And, 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 you know, all from that moment of saying yes to God. And um, I love that. I love what your wife said. This sounds so crazy. This has to <laughs> be God. Be and God. <laughs> listen, if you're listening to this podcast and there's some crazy things that God is inspiring you to do, and, and, and you know, obviously we need to use wisdom. We need to pray. We need to, I love what you said, submitting to the elders of the church, um, just so you have counsel, spiritual counsel as well. But if it is the Lord that's speaking to you, uh, you never know what God can do if you take that step of faith. And so uh, Colin, your life and your journey is, is an example of that. And so thank you for that. Thank you for doing doesn't that. that make your Christian walk more exciting? Yes. You know what I mean? Like that's where, Yes. like, like God's a missionary God. God yes. reaches out to Israel. Hmm. And then what does God do? God sends his son. And then what does the Son do? God sends the Holy Spirit. God the Son sends the Holy Spirit. And what does the Holy Spirit do? Holy Spirit sends the church. (laughs) So it's in our DNA. I tell your listeners, like we are missional. It's there. It's right there all along. And we just have to sort of uh, release that missional drive that our missionary God has created us to be. 
Amen. So uh, we have a couple of minutes left. Why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, what Connect uh, City Ministries is doing uh, right now, and maybe even give us some insight into what's happening with those young adults. What what are you discovering as you're working with them and helping them plant churches? Uh, give us a sense of what God is doing in Toronto from that context. Right, we're we're small. We're just starting out. Um, I don't want to build a gigantic kingdom thing you know what i mean like i'm too old for that stuff now ruben promise took a lot out of me having to raise all that money and do all that work i'm glad sean's doing it now i pray for that guy (laughs) but uh you know basically we look for young adults living in government housing neighborhoods who we feel are called by god to plant churches Mm -hmm. and we work with them we train them we love them we pastor them we coach them but we also give when we resource them but we also give them freedom to plant the church their way Wow. And so, you know, you may have a hip hop church. Um, we have a, we have a, a house church that meets in a home every Monday over a meal. Wow. The Lord's Supper is taken during the meal. Wow. Um, so anybody can come to this house church um, and feel welcome and loved. Mm-hmm. Um, we have another young man we're training up to be a church planter. So right now we only have two churches right now, but okay. in the DNA of each of those churches, they're always looking at the next church planter to right. send out, to send out. And it's kind of like, a fresh expression of church. So we don't want to create a mega church. We don't want to create a big building. We don't want to spend money on that stuff. What we want to do is just see a movement of churches meeting in homes or community centers that are just based on hospitality and mission. Um, and of course, teaching the word and worship, you know, but led by, like I said, young adults uh, who may not be accepted in certain churches because they don't look a certain way or act a certain way, but boy, they, the spirit of God is powerful in them and, and we need to, to let them go. I feel like Moses sometimes talking to pastors at churches and saying, let my people go, wow. <laughs> you know, let them loose. Tell, tell us a little bit also about what's happening with young adults in our city. What are you seeing when you, t- I mean, obviously this is your world now. you're talking to right. them, you're, you're inspiring them, motivating them, or, or maybe you're hearing from them about yeah. their passion, their heart, yeah. their desire to do something for God. Share a little bit of, with us on, on what, what's stirring in the hearts of young adults. It's, I love what's stirring in the hearts of young adults. They, they don't want to do church the way it used to be done. Mm. They really want to do mission. Right. And I really believe that the church is now at a turning point. If it doesn't listen, I, fi- I find that young adults are the prophets now to the church. Wow. And if the church, we older folks, if we don't listen to them and don't support their dreams. God has given these young adults dreams and visions, and they're going to do things differently. And our society has changed so quickly, so especially with the internet and all That's this right. stuff. Um, so we have the privilege and the honor and the excitement, I think, to maybe introduce a, a revival to Toronto. And from my research, seven out of the nine major movements of revival started from young adults 25 years of age or under. Wow. I really believe the young adults, I love them. They've got a heart. They have a heart for a holistic gospel, mm. not just giving out tracts, but also social justice. Right. Um, and they have a heart for Jesus. And so the sad thing is, my brother, is a lot of them are leaving traditional churches um, because those churches aren't allowing them the opportunity to lead. Wow. And so you're going to see, from what I'm seeing, is a lot of churches are just getting older and older yes. and losing their young people. And then you've got a lot of churches that are filled with young adults, kind of young adult-led. And we have, we're beginning to see a chasm between young adult-type churches and now dying older churches and there's a few in the middle, God bless them. And um, so we got to figure that one out. I think at my age, I see myself as a door hinge. 
um, I can open doors for young adults and resource them. That's why the word connect is there, connect them to things. But my job now is I'm doing okay with the Lord. I'm walking with them. I'm now living for, for these young adults. My job is to train and, and equip and, and release them. So if the church doesn't get that, they're going to leave. And they're going to do things their way, which is which is okay. But the church will lose out on that. What well, if you were to talk to a pastor? There's many pastors that listen to this podcast, and you were to give them. And I know this is hard to do. We have got just a minute or two left. But if you were to give them one piece of advice, you know, something that you could say, this is so important to retain right. and empower your young adults that are already in your church, so they don't go out. They that either they don't disengage and show up to church in body, but not in mind uh, and spirit, or uh, that they completely just leave the church because they're so disillusioned with how we do church. What would you say to that pastor? I would say that pastor's first thing on their their job description is young adults. Not, don't have the youth pastor do it, you do it. And you spend time with them. You have them over to your house, maybe once a week, once Mm. every two weeks, you listen to them. You provide opportunities for them to lead. They are the prophets of your church. They know the future better than, than, than the elders in some ways mm. uh, because they're living it out there. So I would make that as my priority because if you don't listen to them and don't release them as ministers, then your church will be dead in 10 years. So, yeah, I'd say that you got to invest them as a priority. Um, you know, it's interesting. Jesus, when he called those disciples, they were young adults. Yes. So that Peter was probably the oldest. He was like the, the youth sponsor. <laughs> but those disciples were young adults. So when Jesus chose to start this movement, uh, he chose young adults. And uh, that's enough said right there. And if you were to speak to a young adult who has a passion but doesn't know what the next step is, uh, and maybe the next step is to connect with you at Connect City, but other than that, what what would you? How would you encourage a young adult that says, "I have a dream of doing something missional for God in Toronto"? What would you? What what would be something they could start with? I would say try to find others that have that dream and they're out there. Um, I think your ministry, I don't know much about it, but from what I'm hearing, it sounds like they should give you a call. Uh, Maybe give me a call. Uh, Urban Promise, just connect with other young adults who have Mm -hmm. that dream and they'll fire each other up. And then I think they can become like a virus that can be sneezed in the city of Toronto, Mm. this missional virus of young adults that are just spreading beautifully throughout throughout our our neighborhood. So yeah, I would say, I, I know a young man now in a church I'm trying to revitalize where they, where there, there's a few young adults left, but they're very um, kind of selfish. Right. And this one young man is there, and he's starting to get it. And I'm telling him, you got to connect with other young adults that get it, that are on fire, or else you're going to lose the fire. So find a ministry you can volunteer in, get to know friends, get to make friends with those people, and serve together. Try not to leave your church because we need right. you in those churches. That's right. But I understand if they do leave, it's it's hard. Wow. Um, listen, Colin, uh, how can people connect with you? What, what, what was the best way to find you online or to get a hold of you? Sure. Uh, we, we have a lousy website because we're, we need someone who knows how to do technology well. So if there's anybody out there who wants to help us, uh, check the website out. It's connectministries.org. Okay. Okay. And then you'll laugh at the website <laughs> and go, wow, this is horrible. Uh, or you can even email me direct. I don't know if I'm going to get in trouble and get millions of emails, but it would be Colin, C-O-L-I-N, one L, yeah. at connectministries.org. 
So Colin, one L-C-O-L-I-N at connectministries.org. Right. Right. Wonderful. Well, Colin, thank you so much for being on the Mission Connect podcast. You've definitely inspired me with your story and your passion for what God is doing in our city, uh, especially with the next generation. And uh, we just pray a blessing over you and Connect City and all the work and all the churches that uh, you have planted and are going to plant and, uh, and just in everything you're doing. May God continue to just prosper you and expand your reach. And thank you. And thank you for, as a young adult, you're doing it. Keep going, man. I'm proud of you guys. You're the future and the present. So you got one up on me on that one. So Amen. Thank you, Colin. Appreciate you. All right. Thank you. Friends, I hope you were encouraged with that conversation that I had with Colin McCartney. Please check out Colin's website at connectministries.org or you can email him at colin at connectministries.org. Listen, friend, I'm so grateful that you tuned in. I know your time is valuable and I want to thank you for trusting me with these few minutes of your time. And I hope our time together today has encouraged and inspired you to continue to pursue God's mission for your life. And by the way, if you've benefited from listening to this episode, please leave a review on iTunes or Google Play, and I'd love to hear from you. Just email me at missionconnect at passiontoreach.com. That's missionconnect at passiontoreach.com. That's all for today. Make sure to join us next time for another episode of the Mission Connect podcast. You've been listening to the Mission Connect podcast. Join us next time for more insights on how you can live out God's mission for your life.